things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's beautiful, isn't it? Love, love that song. How many of us would describe our lives, and when I say our lives, I mean everything that, that we wrap up around our lives, right? The things we do, the things we put our money to, the things we spend our energy on. How many of us would say that, that our lives uh, could be characterized or described? If somebody comes up to you and says, tell me about your life, would say something like, maybe this is what mom might say, busy, right? Hectic. Filled or full. Some of you might say crazy, out of control, right? There's probably not a whole lot of us that would, would say, you know, honestly, my life is just really, it's just really simple. I don't think there's probably many of us in here. And then we have some of our congregation that may be retired and some of their schedule may be a little lessened than the rest of us. But I bet even they wouldn't say they have a simple life. There's something about the word simple that we just don't value, right? We just don't, we don't take it very seriously. The idea of a life of simplicity is not one that we really necessarily want to have or one that we would even know how to have. At least I have struggled with knowing how. Something about the idea of being uh, simple or a simple life, you might feel like um, you might be left out of something or it's unimportant or it's, it's just not valued enough to have a simple life style of living. In fact, some of us even uh, describe people with a, maybe a decreased mental capacity. He's just sort of simple. You know, that's kind of code word. Guys, if you're ever described as simple, it's not necessarily a good thing in, th in that context. You know, it's just simple. And yet sometimes we idolize and we put on a shelf people who can multitask. Oh, they've got great... Uh, competency or they, they, they're just a great abundance. They can do a million things. They, they, they're so busy. They're, they're, they're important. And sometimes that's at the expense of their souls or at least the quality of their lives. You know, I take my girls to school every, every morning and we pass by this um, construction area. It's got a lot of topsoil and dirt and different stuff. And I noticed uh, several months back, they took a bunch of topsoil and they pushed it up against this tree. It, it totally surrounds this big pine tree. Like 15 or 20 feet high is a big pile of dirt around a tree. And I remember looking at it going, man, they better move that dirt or that's going to kill that tree. And sure enough, several months later, the tree is as dead as it can possibly be. And what's interesting is it's surrounded by the stuff it needs, right? It's surrounded by dirt, and just like you and I, we, we need hobbies and we need things to do and we need lives that bring us joy. But too much of sometimes of a good thing can actually choke out the life that you, you could have. That's what happened with that tree. It's what happens with us all the time. We've been in this series called Life, talking about the spiritual disciplines uh, that God would have for our lives so that we can know him more, so that we could know him abundantly. We've talked about... Um, Biblical meditation, we've talked about fasting, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about Bible study, we've talked about solitude, and last week Pastor Elvis talked with us about uh, submission. That's a fun one. It's a hard one. None of these are easy. Have you noticed that? None of these are easy. But what's interesting is all those disciplines are kind of something that you can add to your life. In other words, 
you know, I really do need a little bit more Bible study in my life. I need to do a little bit more of that. Or I need to pray a little bit more. Or I need to, you know, I need to fast a little bit more. It seems like there are things that we should be adding into our life. But today we're talking about the discipline of simplicity. And listen, this is the discipline of subtraction, not addition. There's things in our lives that we have to subtract, pull away from in order to have a life of simplicity. I love, uh, and I love art of all kinds. I love music and painting and sculptures and things. And I heard a sculptor one time say he was, he was creating a horse. And, and all that was there was this big slab of marble. And, and the, the guy said, how in the world are you going to get a horse out of this big slab of marble? He said, well, I'm just going to take away everything that doesn't look like a horse. Which sort of makes sense. Because when he finished, it's a beautiful horse. But when he started, it was just a big slab of rock. And today, several of us can look at our lives and just see a big slab of mess. Busy, chaotic, crazy. And God wants us to chip away and pull away everything that doesn't look like a life lived for Jesus. A life that could be an abundant life in him. We just have to chip away, subtract the things that don't need to be there, right? In your bulletin this morning, this is the first statement I wanted to make to you. Simplicity is about saying no to a few things so that you can say yes to the best things. It's about saying no to a few things so that you can say yes to the best things. You know, for the past, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, even our culture has started to really elevate this idea of simplicity. Have you noticed that? There's this little tiny startup company called Apple. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, they, they've done all kinds of crazy things, but I actually happen to have one of their products. Anybody remember this little guy here? You know what this is? So this is a game changer. I don't even know if it still works, but she says it does. It was a game changer. This little guy right here sleek and cool, and it's beat up now. But uh, the whole idea was back in the day we had Walkmans. Everybody remember the Walkman? He could get the radio, you could get a cassette in there, or when you got fancy, you could get a CD in there. Oh. But the problem is you could only get one CD at a time, right? So if you wanted to take a long walk, or you wanted to be on a trip or whatever, you had to take a library of CDs and feed the walk. Apple said, there's got to be a better way we can simplify what people are wanting. And on this little guy right here, you could put thousands of songs and games and a calendar. And, well, then they stepped it up and they created the iPhone simplifying our lives even more, right? So now we've got calculators and apps and 12 megapixel cameras. Amazing things. All something we can hold in our hands and simple enough that my five and six-year-old, you know, they can, when they're even that age, they could figure it out better than I could. Three, you got a three-year-old doing it. It's amazing. It's amazing that even our community, even our world wants things uh, simpler and simpler design, graphic design. They have metrics with graphic design that say if things are designed with simplicity and, and, and clean uh, graphics, we're more apt to buy that than something that's jumbled up. Why? Because in our souls, we're crying out for something that's just simple and clean, unlike the rest of our lives, most likely. What about this tiny home revolution? You seen that on TV? People, people choosing to go from two and 3,000 square foot homes to a one to 200 square foot home built on a trailer. 
so they can pull it anywhere. They don't have to make a ton of money to support it, and they can simplify their lives. People are staying home more, working from home, than they've ever stayed home before. They, they don't have to get in the rat race. They don't have to drive downtown. They don't have to put up with that jerk at work, right? In fact, they can even just stay in their PJs and work from the couch. People want life a little simpler, even in our culture. And yet we as Christians still haven't seemed to figure this out. What is simplicity? Dallas Willard, the author of The Spirit of the Disciplines, he, he defines it like this. He says, simplicity is the arrangement of life around a few consistent purposes, explicitly excluding what is not necessary to human well-being. Read it again. It's you arranging your life. It's the arrangement of life around a few consistent purposes, explicitly excluding or subtracting what is not necessary to human well-being. You know, I'm not, I'm not great at simplicity. I'll be honest with you. I, there's some of my life, I feel, like it's, I feel like my life is in balance, but I could do better at this, like, just like all the rest of them, I guess. The Lord's teaching me as he's teaching us. And I just started thinking, I just, as I was praying over this this week, Lord, what is simplicity? And if I were to, if I were to like, go in my mind and take a look at what my life would to, to look like if I lived a life of simplicity, what would it look like? Well, I had a friend several years ago. His name was Richard Reese. He's a brilliant guy. Uh, he ran one of the top five Fortune 500 companies in the world. I just happened to be, he happened to be a friend somehow. And uh, he told me one time, we were talking about business. He said, you know what, Drew? Sometimes the best way to create a great business is to reverse engineer it. I said, okay, I, I have no idea what that means. He said, well, imagine your business. Imagine your products. Imagine your success in a great business. I'm like, I can do that. I got that much. He said, now begin to work backwards in your mind. How did you get to that great business? How did you get to that great product? How did you get to such a successful place in your vision? Work backwards until you get back to step one and then work the plan. So I kind of did that with this. I thought, you know what? I don't know that I can describe my life of simplicity, so let me reverse engineer it. So I began to dream about what is a life of simplicity. And the first thing I came up with is if my life was simple and I lived the value and discipline of simplicity, there would probably be boundaries in my life. There would be boundaries, and that means that I would set a boundary in my life, some things that I would have to say no to, some things I would give my time to, some other things that I wouldn't. And when you have boundaries in your life, it allows you to have margin. That allows you to do things that you might not otherwise be able to do because you're so busy. But if you set a boundary, you might have margin. Well, then I thought, well, let me reverse engineer the dream of this simplistic lifestyle. What's the opposite, really, of, the, of boundaries and margin, right? It's a life that's out of control. Well, that, I'm used to that a little bit sometimes. Not as used to boundaries and margin, but I can identify with out of control, right? What's another good thing for a life of simplicity? I just imagine I would have peace. But the opposite of peace is often what's true of our lives is we really live in chaos, but the hope of a simplistic lifestyle could be uh, that we'd have rhythm. And I just like that word because I'm a musician maybe, but rhythm means that there is an order to things. There's, there's, a, there's a, a process to things, and it helps us to create boundaries and margin because we live in rhythm. The rhythm works. But if you don't have rhythm, right, you'll have disorder and disorganization. 
Another thing about simplicity is I just imagine if my life was lived and valued simplicity, I would be rested. I would have rest in my life. I would have rest and, and it would be because there's rhythm and peace. <laughs> but the opposite of rest is what? Exhaustion. Many of us feel that. I would be healthy, not sick. I would have joy. I wouldn't be depressed. I would be effective, not ineffective. I would, I would have things working out of my life that seemed natural, not forced. And I would be able to sustain this lifestyle. This would be something I could continue on. Sustainability is a, a hot word right now we use, right, in the green conversation and all these other conversations. But what about a life in Christ? Are we living a sustainable lifestyle? Many of us are not. And that's the whole concept of simplicity, that we live in such a way that we live a sustainable, ongoing, repeatable lifestyle, not one that's unsustainable. The first thing we have to do, we got to learn to walk with Jesus. Now, I realize that little, those three words, they sound about as churchy as you can sound, right? Just walk with Jesus. But let's define them in this scripture that I have for us this morning, okay? This is Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. And it's going to sound a little different than you're used to. This is out of the message, and I absolutely think it's the perfect scriptural context for simplicity. I want to read it for you. It says this, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that beautiful? I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that beautiful? That's what I want. That's what we want. We want a life that does that right there. So let's break this down just for a moment, can we? First thing I want to notice in this text is this. Jesus said, are you tired? Are you burned out on religion? Are you exhausted? Then notice he says, come over here with me. In other words, Jesus can't be connected to burnout religion. Do you hear that? If you, if you think that you're burnout on religion and you've got Jesus, I don't think you do. you got some other stuff. Jesus is saying here, if you're burnout on religion, I'm not in that. I'm over here. <laughs> I'm over here. Come over here with me. Do you see that separation? Almost the exact opposite of being burnout on religion and yet having life. In Jesus. He's saying, come away with me. Recover your life. I love that. Recover your life. Learn to, to know and live exactly what life really is. Life is real peace. Right? Life is real rest, and it's only found in Jesus. Then he says this, walk with me. You know what that is? That's, that's a relationship. Jesus is saying, Come take a walk with me. Remember what, in the garden, remember what, that's what he came to see Adam and Eve after they had sinned. He came to walk with them in the garden in relationship. So Jesus is saying, have a relationship with me. But, but don't just have a relationship with me only. Work with me because I've got a mission. So walk with me and work with me. But you know what? I don't expect you to know how to do it either. Walk with me, work with me, but learn how I do it. Learn how I do it, right? I love that. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I just love even saying that phrase. It's the title of our message this morning. The unforced rhythms of grace. They're life-giving. They're natural. They're not ill-fitting. I think about ill-fitting. I think about the story of David and Saul. Remember when David was going to go fight Goliath and Saul put his armor on little David and he just he couldn't even move because it was so big. It didn't fit him. And yet so many of us feel that way in church or in ministry or in the religion that we think we're following instead of this free, fitting, natural response to who Jesus really is, the life that he gives. Life is also something we have to learn. True life in him is something we have to learn. And I love this last phrase that he says in that text, keep company with me. Keep company and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In other words, once you've walked with me in relationship, once you've worked with me in mission, right, and once you're learning how I do this, once you do all that, you have to keep checking in. <laughs> keep company with me. As time goes by, don't just assume that you can live off the fumes of a former relationship with Jesus. We can't. We can't. And if any of us today were to say, man, I just remember my life with Jesus was so awesome back in college. No. Your life with Jesus can be awesome today. Today. It's supposed to get sweeter and sweeter, right? Not memories of the sweetness. The problem is we don't bring our authentic selves, our authentic lives to Jesus and let him heal the brokenness. Instead we think because it's broken, because it's confusing, because it's hard, I can't really walk in this relationship with Jesus. I just got to go it alone. At least that's what our flesh thinks has to happen. And he said, no, walk with me, work with me, learn from me, keep company with me, keep in touch with me, right? And you'll learn to live, look at this, freely and lightly. That's the life I want. How about you? I want to live that way. I want to know him that way. Mm. To be at peace, to be free. Jesus was into simplicity. He simplified the law so that we can focus on what matters. Jesus simplified the law so that we can focus on what matters. Uh, there's a story in Matthew 22 I'm going to read for you. It says in verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, you're going to try to trick him, right? One of them was a lawyer, and he asked him a question to test him, to trick him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, now remind you, 613 commandments, 613. And the guy thinks he's going to trip up Jesus and say, which one is the most important? Surely they're all important, right? This is Jesus fires right back, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus was all about helping us simplify what matters most so we can focus. Listen, if you live your life in love with God and loving people, you could live the rest of your life honoring Jesus. Did you know that? It's just that simple. It's just that simple. If we just loved God and loved people, your walk with him would be so sweet and so fresh. But the problem is, somewhere between loving God and loving people, we get distracted, don't we? We get distracted on a lot of stuff. Jesus mentioned some of our distractions in, in Matthew 6, 25. 
I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I'm going to remind you of what Jesus says. He says, listen, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about the things that you'll wear and the things that you'll eat and your body. Remember, he says, what about uh, Solomon wore these amazing robes and yet the, the flowers in the field were better than those. He's, he's saying, you know, it's, it is important. These things are important in your life. They're just not the main thing. And he says in verse 33 of chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You want to know the reason we don't live a life of simplicity? And I'm going to just get real with you here real quick and get honest with you for all of us. The reason we don't live lives of simplicity is because we're afraid. We're afraid. That's exactly what Jesus was saying to those who were listening to his disciples in that moment. Don't be afraid that you're not going to have the right thing to wear or the right thing to eat or the right thing to drive or the right whatever you can be afraid of, right? Not the right job. Don't let these things be distractions to your life. Love God, love others. Trust that your heavenly Father knows what you need. And above all those things, put him first and he'll give you everything else. He'll give you what you need. Don't be afraid. But listen, fear is the underlying reason we don't live lives of simplicity. Andy Stanley says, we equate busyness with how much do I matter? In other words, if I can be really busy, if I can be on the go, I can go here, I can do this, I can be this, I can seem important, then I must matter, right? And so we fill our lives up with stuff and things to do because we fear that if we don't work enough, we won't have enough. Or if we don't hang on to everything, we won't have other significant moments and memories in our lives. Or if, if we slow down too much, right, even with our kids, we won't, they won't have all the opportunities or all the social engagement that they might need. Now listen, I'm not picking on, I'm picking on me as much as I'm picking on anybody as a parent, but listen to me real quick. Parents, do you know what your kid needs more than to be on the soccer team or the pep club? They need to see you committed to Jesus with all of your heart and all of your life, walking out your love for people. That's what they need to see. Now listen, I'm not picking on the pep club or sports clubs. Those things are great, but they're secondary. They're secondary. If they ever get to the place where, man, that's what's running your life, it might be okay to take a season of, hey, you know what, guys? We're not playing sports this semester. It's okay. They'll be just fine. You might have to say, we're going to pull back, you guys, this, this semester, and we're going to focus on how to serve people more, how to love people more, and then we'll talk about whether we're going to be in the clubs next, next semester. I don't know. But sometimes that activity and that busyness seems to run our lives instead of our love for Jesus and our love for people. Sometimes we have a fear that if we don't care for everybody's every need, the Martha syndrome, right? If we don't jump up and do everything for everybody, then we'll seem like we don't care. And we're just giving a piece of our lives away. We're not choosing the best thing. Andy Stanley says this. He says, our fear of not mattering much has the potential of pulling us away from things that matter most. Our fear, our anxiety of not mattering much 
has the potential of pulling us away from the things that matter most. Church, we have to learn to say no. We got to learn to say no. We got to subtract even to good things if they're not the best things. So let me ask you this question this morning. How much of your life and the things that, that uh, are involved in your life, how much of that life is a distraction from the life God wants you to have? Think about it. How much of the life and the busyness and the stuff that you do, it, how much of that is a distraction from the life God really wants you to have? I've got friends that, and again, I'm not picking on anybody, okay? These are things that are in my own heart and all my own struggle. I've got friends that love football more than I think they love anything in the whole world. And sometimes friends will ask me, hey, man, do you, you played sports all your life? Yeah, I did. Well, don't you watch the game? Are you going to watch the game? And sometimes I say in this sort of super spiritual, silly return, I'll say, lesser battles. And they're always like, lesser battles. I'm like, yeah, I mean, will it really matter tomorrow if your team won or lost? Not really. I mean, to them, they're like, well, yeah, but. And I'm saying, listen, what if our focus was on this great battle over your soul? What if our focus was on this great battle over your children and over our city and over a desire for him to be known? It doesn't mean sports are bad and we can't love sports and have, be fans of teams. It's not what I'm saying. It can't be the main thing. It can't be because then it's an idol. Listen, people who have money, people who love to buy things, sometimes buy things and do things with their money because it's a distraction from the spiritual poverty in their own soul. Dave Ramsey says, we buy the things that we don't want with the money that we don't have to impress the people we don't like. Isn't that true? We're just trying to keep up. Sometimes we work too much and what we're doing when we're working too much is distracting ourselves from the reality that we, we need rest and we need to trust in God. We need rest and we need to trust in God, but we don't trust and we don't rest. Listen, I think if we took an honest look, I mean, if we really took an honest, long look at our souls and the things that take the energy from our lives, what are the things that dis they take energy from your life? I mean, you're so busy with this thing. You're so busy with that thing. I, really, take an, account, take an account right now, an inventory of what's going on in your life because sometimes the things that take the most energy in our lives and in our souls are the very places that we're overcompensating for brokenness. This is what I mean. I got a friend. He doesn't come to church. He's something, something's broken in his heart. He just, can't, he just won't come to church. I asked him, I said, hey, is there something that happened in your life, maybe as a kid, where it affected you in the church and coming to church? He's like, no, I don't think so. And not a minute later, 60 seconds later, he goes, you know what? I grew up in a Pentecostal church. He said, that place was so crazy. He said, people were making all kinds of racket, tambourines, people running around the church, people falling out, people speaking all kinds of languages. It was scared me to death as a kid. And I sat there for a minute and just thought, huh. And I said, hey, um, do you think maybe that has some kind of connection to why you don't come to church now? It's not a dig on Pentecostals. I have many dear friends that are Pentecostals. 
But when he was a kid, I think he equated um, a little bit of chaos with the church and a little bit of maybe uh, inauthenticity with the church. And I said, maybe now there's something in your heart that you learned as a kid that maybe the church can't be trusted. Maybe the church is just a show. Maybe the church is just too chaotic and I just don't want to be there because you learned it at such an early age. I love the story of City Portier. Sidney Portier, sorry. Um, just one of the classiest men ever, right? When I think about Sidney Portier, I think, uh, I think about class. But he grew up extremely uh, hungry. He lived a life of poverty growing up. It's very interesting because he was on Oprah one time, and, and he and Oprah started talking about this, and he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a Snickers bar. And he said, uh, I always have a Snickers bar on me. She said, why? He said, it doesn't matter if I'm on set in a movie, if I'm doing a commercial, if I'm walking down the street, if I'm at home, I've always got a Snickers bar on me. She said, why? He said, because it reminds me I don't have to be hungry. All his life he was hungry. He said, even in times where I could place abundance on my table, there was a Snickers bar in my coat pocket because it reminded me that I don't have to be hungry. And if I needed it, it was there. Sometimes people, I don't know if you know people who are, are hoarders, maybe they keep everything because they didn't have anything when they grew up. You see, inside our hearts and inside our souls, there are things that are broken in all of us. We have to bring that brokenness to Jesus because the way we medicate it is not great. We start keeping things, right? We start putting a Snickers bar in our pocket. Or we stop going to church because of something that broke inside our hearts a long time ago. The next thing we have to do to find simplicity in our lives, we've got to find our rhythm. I mentioned this a minute ago. Find your rhythm. God has designed a pattern of life. He, he's already built it for us. And yet we ignore it. Let me ask you this. Are all the commandments, the Ten Commandments, are they, are they important? Very important. And what if I just came to you, to you with one and said, hey, I, don't think, I just don't think I'm going to live that one. I'm going to just not, I'm just going to go ahead and murder people. They make me mad. I'm going to just go ahead and take them out. I, is it that big of a deal? And yet with one commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, we think it's optional. And then we wonder why our lives are such a mess. And yet God has designed this rhythm for us to live, and we don't live it. This is what happened. Listen, the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt. And they had no days off. They worked their tails off day in, day out. One day led into the next, and they were exhausted, but they had to live that way because they were living in slavery. God sends Moses, leads the people out of Egypt to, you know, to Mount Sinai. Moses comes down with these Ten Commandments. And he helps them to see that part of God's design and plan was for the people, for them to rest. Look at it with me in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, 
and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God designed a rhythm for our lives. The Sabbath was for us. It was against the law to work seven days a week. It was against the law. Top ten rules, don't work seven days a week. Take one off. Because he knew we needed it. And he even modeled it for us. That's what's amazing. God worked, right? Six days and he rested. So God worked, we ought to work. God rested, we ought to rest. Sabbath in Hebrew just means to cease or to stop. And it speaks of a 24-hour period where we just we don't do anything related to work. We rest. Now just go with me just for a minute. I have to go to this place in my brain. Can you imagine your life if you truly took 24 hours a week to do nothing but rest and do the things that you enjoy doing, connecting with God, connecting with your family? Can you imagine? Do you think your stress level would be less? Do you think you would have boundaries and margin and rest and peace? I think you would. We imitate God by stopping our work. And resting. Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is an amazing book, he tells a story about farmers in the uh, north. He says, there was a time when blizzards would come in so fast, farmers would leave their front door and they would go to their barns to check on their cows or whatever, their animals. And the blizzard would come in so fast that they wouldn't be able to see their home. So they would start back through the snow to try and find their home, and many of them would freeze in their front yard. Several of them would freeze two and three feet from the front door, from that safety and that warmth right there. But they didn't know where they were, and they just gave up, and they froze. So they started a new method. They, they would tie a rope around the house or around the front door or the front gate or whatever, and they would take that rope with them. And they would check on the animals. And then when they were ready to come back, they would follow that rope back. You see, Sabbath, it's our rope. It's our rope out of the blizzard of what life is. Out of the busyness, out of the crazy, out of the chaos, we follow the rope of God's rhythm back to him. And we're supposed to be reminded that he is God and he is good. And we're going to be obedient to what rhythm he set up for our lives. It settles our souls. It reminds us of who he is and who we are and that we can trust him with everything. You know, I think this way so often. I know many of you do too. If I work just a little bit more, I'll get, it'll just be, it'll be perfect. We'll be ahead, right? If I do just a little bit more over here, it'll, listen, this is so interesting to me. This is Leviticus 19.10. Leviticus is the handbook for priests. And this book given to help people know how to be holy as God is holy. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 10 says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, the things that have fallen. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Then he says this. I am the Lord your God. Listen, these people didn't have giant farms that we see today. You drive down the road, you see these thousand-acre farms. That's not what they had. You're talking about a quarter-acre farm 
or a tenth of an acre plot of land. Small. When it's small like that, you want to make sure you get every piece of harvest that you can, right? Because you need it. And yet God is saying, don't, don't get everything. Leave the edges. Leave things on the ground. And yet so many of us say, no, I, I, I can work a little bit more and get all that. I'll get it all. It's not about getting it all. It's about trusting our God who's given it all. And so many of us just, I'll just work a little more. I'll just do a little bit more. I'll, I'll not rest. And yet the very last thing he says here, I am the Lord your God. He's like saying, remember me. Remember that I'm trustworthy. Remember that I'll provide for your need. Listen, I'm closing. In order for us to live this abundant life that Jesus wants us to have, we got to trust him. I mean, really trust him. And when we really trust him, we'll be content. And when we live a life of contentment, then we'll be able to value the discipline of simplicity. Paul knew contentment, right? Philippians 4.10, he says, I've learned in whatever season, whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that interesting that that phrase, many of us have used it for any type of weak moments in our lives or encouragement to other people, but it's out of the context of contentment. Moments of not having exactly what you think you need or, or what you think you want or having more than you need. Life of simplicity is not an easy thing to have. Much easier for me to add things into my life than to subtract. But you know what? We won't be able to get to those beautiful descriptions of a life of simplicity until we learn to subtract. I want to read our, our main text one last time, and I'm just going to encourage you. Daryl, you guys can come back. Something else that's very simple about a life in Christ is trusting him to be your savior. <laughs> we complicate this so much, but the reality is, do you know Jesus as your savior? Are you able to live a life of rest and happiness and joy and peace? Because if you're not, maybe you just haven't trusted him to, to be your savior. It's not a complicated process. It's a process of you trusting him, believing that he died for you, was raised again. So this morning, we're going to sing this song, and I'm going to read this text. And when I finish reading this text again, from the mouth of Jesus and from the heart of Jesus, I encourage you to live a life of simplicity. I encourage me to live a life of simplicity that I haven't been living. I need to find this rhythm. I need to find this place in my own soul where I can live a sustainable life. Because you know what? I want to be here for the next 50, 60 years or so, you know? Probably not. But... I want to be here as long as God wants me to be here. And I want to be as effective as I can possibly be with you and this community. And I won't be, and you won't be, until we learn the discipline of simplicity. Hear these words from Jesus. And as Daryl begins to sing after I read this, I'll be up here up front. If you need to come down and you want to pray with somebody, I'd love to do that with you. 
You may just want to come pray at the altar about the busyness in your own life or the priorities that you've gotten out of whack like I have. Whatever it is that God's doing in your heart, this may be a time where you just want to speak with him and make some things right. Listen to the words of Jesus. Hear them from his heart to yours. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. May God teach us to live this way, to know him more. Father, we love you. In our hearts, Lord, this sounds amazing, and yet in the reality of our lives, it seems almost impossible, and yet nothing's impossible with you. Part of your expectation is being, of being your children is that we live in the rhythm that you've given us. And so, Lord, would you help us to find that place of serving and knowing and loving you through simplicity so that we can love and serve the world. Bless this time. Draw us by your spirit, Lord, whether it be to this altar, to your throne, in our, wherever we are standing or seating. Lord, just draw us to yourself. And may we spend this time focused on exactly what you'd have us to do with our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Will you stand with us and let's worship.